Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Sarah Hopstetter, president of Profitero. And I'm Rachel Tipograph, the founder and CEO of MickMath. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. An aggressive strategy, Verizon Media Group keeps pouring resources into commerce. NBC Universal and Volition Beauty co-create products. How Cosmo is building the brand affinity with younger audiences through its focus on commerce. Profitability in the back half of next year, BuzzFeed CEO Jonah Peredity and Verizon Media about their big merger. If you're not seeing these headlines pop up every single day in Twitter, in your email, wherever you get ad tech media news, The tea leaves are pretty clear. The future of the content business is commerce. No question. And I think everybody's trying to figure out how to make money in media and revenue streams are diversifying on a regular basis. I think brands have long been talking about how do we connect content and commerce to close the loop on the funnel a lot more. Now we're seeing that happening more organically. And it's just not even within the organic arena, but you're seeing it happen at the retailer level. And as more and more traffic is getting driven to these retailer environments, you're starting to see them very much care about the profitability that's happening within the affiliate world. I think one of the big news stories last year was Amazon removing third-party affiliate networks from their program, Amazon Associates, to better protect margins. Or you look at everything that was going on in the second half of last year between Target and Walmart with their direct integration. And there is one person who's been at the forefront of all this for the past five years, and it's Neela Ali, who is the SVP of Commerce at BuzzFeed. And she's also spent many years prior working before at Affiliate Networks. Neela, so great to have you on the show. So great to be here, and thank you for having me. So a lot of people are probably wondering, what does the SVP of commerce do at BuzzFeed? That is a very great question. And it definitely has evolved over the years. But I would say my main focus at this stage is thinking about how commerce can be incorporated into all parts of our business. When I think of commerce, I really think of driving action through our content. 
And the most basic form of that is our shopping content that we create. We have an affiliate business that we power with the affiliate partners that we work with. So that is a big part of my purview. As of recently, I also oversee our advertising, retail, and direct-to-consumer side of our business. So all things advertising and media. And I would say there definitely is becoming this intersection of what does media mean and what does commerce mean in a consumer's life? And how can we bring those two things together to make this really kind of frictionless experience? So I'm thinking about all parts of our business in the context of commerce and driving action. I feel like you're like the reverse of what everybody else is doing. So bravo to you for zagging because like during the pandemic, all these retailers are trying to get into the media business. And here you are the head of commerce at a media business. Yeah. How do you think about that kind of the push pull between people kind of getting into each other's business? I love the fact that that's happening because again, I think from a consumer's perspective, those two things aren't that different. I think you're inspired to engage with commerce through content or media um, and vice versa. I think when you're on a commerce retailer site, there's a lot of room for driving discoverability or using content as a way to make purchasing decisions. So I think our worlds are somewhat one in the same. And I think we can kind of live together in unison and find a way to grow both of our businesses. So yeah, I think it's a trend that was inevitable and it was starting to happen. But as with everything else, the pandemic kind of accelerated it. You know, Sarah and I sometimes face different hurdles when people don't fully understand what we do. There's a pot of money. And we're all chipping away at the same pot of money. And sometimes people can feel threatened. So do the retailers ever feel threatened by the publisher business and vice versa? I see it as complimentary. And again, I think there's a lot of money to go around, mainly because most of that money is currently taken by Google and Facebook. There's a lot of opportunity for more players in the space to add more interesting solutions that serve the customer that support advertisers. And I think where we're complementary is again, retailers have like their core expertise or their core value in the equation is that they have first party data. They know what people are buying um, and they're sitting on information that the publishers don't have. What we have is intent-based data. We know what people are reading about. We know what they're looking for. We're kind of a step before that retailer part of the funnel. So I think when you can combine the two, that's where the magic happens. And I think, again, those two parts of the funnel serve a different role in the consumer journey. So again, I think there is enough money to go around, but I also see a lot of opportunity in strategically partnering across a retail media group as well as a publisher. I like that articulation that you opened up with, which is it sounds like it's everyone versus Facebook and Google. And that's where the shift in spend is happening. Agreed, but I guess I'm going to counter myself a bit and saying I also see publishers playing a big role with Facebook and Google Mm -hmm. in that on Facebook, what you're doing is consuming content. So you can't have the experience that you have on Facebook without good content. And that is, again, the role that the publishers play. But I think if we can think about it as BuzzFeed's creating the content, but a retailer has the data to help power smarter content. And the platforms have the platform for which that content is distributed and the right people are seeing the right content. Again, that's where the magic happens. So it's kind of this like value chain. So I think there's room for us all to play. It's just a matter of like strategically setting it up in a way that benefits all players. Wait a second. I mean, I like everything you're saying. Don't get me wrong. But 
it sounds much, much more like there's a whole frenemy situation going on here. You're all interdependent on each other. You're all using each other's platforms. You just want to figure out how you get the bigger piece of the funnel, right? I could not agree with that more. And I think it's just in my nature to be like a mediator and to find a solution that makes everyone happy. And I've honestly kind of operated my business in that way. And that's how I've kind of approached my professional career. And I I think that is a successful model. I think if everyone can stop competing against each other, and I think some competition is obviously healthy, but I do think this new frenemy model is actually where the consumer ultimately wins because we're creating the best version of an experience. And I totally agree. Watching your career, watching Jonah, just the ethos of BuzzFeed, I feel that you've always had this spirit of open collaboration You look at, you know, work with NBC, now work with Verizon. I would say a lot of work with Walmart. That DNA is there. 100%. Speaking to other parts of your career, I always tell people, you know more about the affiliate business than anyone I've ever met. And e-commerce was explosive last year. But I would love to just take a second and talk about what you saw in terms of changes in the affiliate landscape and what you predict that's going to happen this year. Firstly, I am so flattered to hear that. I've been in the affiliate space for five years, so been gaining kind of a lot of knowledge along the way. But last year was, I think, the most interesting of those five years. Obviously, online shopping took off in a way that no one expected or anticipated. And I think it's interesting now to read the reports and see things like there was the biggest growth of 65 plus um, shoppers shopping online. And I think that introduction of new to commerce shoppers meant that publishers played a bigger and bigger role. The reason I'm so passionate about content and commerce is as a millennial, I've always used content to help me find things. Like it's very natural that if I'm like looking for a rug, I'm going to go Google the best rug and read content and find the best choice from a publisher that I trust. But again, as more people enter the digital landscape, I think the need for using content as a means for discovering brands or product became increasingly important. So that resulted in this race of more and more publishers kind of launching affiliate businesses, thinking about it seriously and understanding too, when you're operating in a time when there's a lot of volatility, the more data you have around what are not only people reading, but what are they actually buying or taking action on that leads to stronger content. So that's a message I've always been out in market with kind of preaching to publishers, to retailers, to kind of help educate the market. But I feel like in the past year, that education just naturally came about. And now we're seeing more publishers engaging in affiliate, retailers taking content more seriously. And I think it's going to leave us in a much better place. In terms of dynamics, you know, one of the big stories earlier in the pandemic in the affiliate space was when Amazon Associates kind of said, we're not going to work with these third-party networks because they wanted to protect more of their margins. Is that a dynamic that you're expecting to play out with other retailers? I think it's twofold of protecting margin, but also better measurement. I think the more players that are kind of stuffed between where the click is happening and then where the ultimate attribution occurs, I think it just becomes challenging to have clean reporting, true measurement, really understanding that kind of path to purchase so that the right players along the funnel are getting attributed. So I do think the affiliate space is prime for disruption and there is going to be this need of like a cleanup or better attribution because I think the model just isn't working for things like content publishers who are at the top of the funnel and likely driving conversion, but not getting credit for it because of how it's set up now 
retailers end up losing a lot of margin, kind of paying all the players along the way without truly knowing what they're driving. So yes, I think that disruption is eminent and it'll be interesting to see what sort of innovation emerges from it. You know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I really am enjoying your perspective on all of this. You're so nice. Like everything that you're saying is so nice. We're all going to live like kumbaya. And and it is great. Although having, having been in the belly of the beast of media for a big chunk of my career, we kind of know that it's, it's a lot more challenging. So I'm going to poke the bear a little bit more on the Facebook stuff, if you don't mind. Not that the world hasn't been poking plenty on Facebook, but this is not political. Or maybe it is. So Apple just announced changes to iOS 14 that impacts how platforms like Facebook can, uh, you know, receive and process conversion events from tools like the Facebook Pixel. That obviously has significant implications on the consumer experience, but it also has significant implications on that whole notion of, oh, is, is Facebook following me everywhere? So do you have... Um, Thoughts on how BuzzFeed's going to be navigating this as that frenemy environment? And do you have tips for brands that are relying on that ecosystem that you're talking about between media, retailers, publishers, and and how we all work together on this? Great question. And honestly, I think these privacy changes are obviously eminent to our industry and everyone knew they were coming. I think they're just now starting to happen and it is impacting every platform differently. I think this is where content publishers will have the opportunity to shine because naturally what happens is when we're creating content, we're effectively almost creating this like funnel of finding people who are most likely to engage with that content, which means you almost somewhat optimize towards conversion or intent, which is technically what the Facebook algorithm does. Obviously with something like a conversion pixel, you're finding people who are most likely to shop from that content. It's important for brands to make sure that they're thinking about the new limitations that are presented with this new Facebook change. And I think there's a world in which we can still optimize towards things like clickouts or views into content to signal intent. And maybe there will be limitations with things like not being able to optimize towards conversion. And I think it's hard to know what that's going to mean in terms of the efficiency of programs. But I think content publishers can still get retailers to a place where efficiency will still be seen in their programs. First of all, I thought it was a great answer. It gives me comfort to know that we can still have relevant advertising without having to track people all over the internet. So just as a consumer, I think that that's that's a win all around. I also think that it's a way for, it's almost like a forcing function for brands to start thinking about the new I don't want to say path to purchase because that's like an old school thing to say, but the way people consider and buy stuff, period, the end. So iOS 14, the new operating system on the iPhone, they have made some changes, our friends at Apple. Now, the reason why this is an important story is if you're in e-commerce, if you're in performance marketing, you probably use the Facebook pixel every single day to collect audiences. So we are talking about iPhone users iOS 14 on your phone, and you use Facebook and Instagram. So the biggest change that's going to happen to brands is that they're probably going to see a slight decline in the size of those audience pools. But you still can remarket to users. You can still build lookalike audiences. That's the most major change. Now, if you're listening and you're a direct-to-consumer brand, where the majority of your sales is coming from your own brand.com, there are some other nuances that are probably worth paying attention to. 
So if you're a direct-to-consumer brand, another change worth noting is that the default look-back attribution window will now be seven days instead of 28 days. If you're a major CPG brand where most of your sales come from Amazon, Target, Walmart, what I just said is probably irrelevant to you. Those are essentially the major changes, but they're important to note because remarketing, building lookalike audiences, moving someone down to the path to purchase is a large portion of the e-commerce performance marketing game. But we've uh, now reached the favorite part of the show, which is our final question. What is the bravest thing that you've ever done? I thought a lot about this question. And I think for me, it's a challenging one because I am a child to parents who were refugees. Um, So the bravest thing they did was leave a country that was literally going through a war, come to America and start a family. So I think I have a very high standard for what it means to be brave. Um, And and it's interesting because I think I've lived my whole life in that way where I'm like super lucky to be here. This isn't brave. I just am kind of like swimming through a world that my parents kind of set up for me. But thinking about it, I think the bravest thing I did was when I first moved to New York, which was right after college, I had this like very bizarre health situation where I had like a weird issue with my neck. Um, And it was really very scary time because like no doctors could figure out what was wrong with me. I like literally couldn't hold my neck up. So I was like in a neck brace and was like bedridden for a while. Finally ended up getting like Botox injections in my neck, which like killed the muscle and I could like kind of operate, but it was super painful. And my parents were obviously like, you are absolutely not moving to New York. That is, this is so terrifying. Like we are not losing our baby to a big city when you're clearly not a hundred percent of yourself. And I was just like, I am not giving up on my dreams. I'm moving to New York. This is happening. So I literally would commute to New York with a neck brace, take interviews like across the city, I will never forget one day I had this one interview where like, no joke, there was rain up to like my ankles. Um, and I was in a neck brace and like, I looked terrible because it was pouring rain. And I took this interview and the person was so kind and like literally gave me a, a, the name of a massage therapist to go to, um, which I was like, yeah, clearly you can tell there's something wrong with me. Um, but even in that process, I got my first job. I moved to New York, still didn't really know what was wrong with me, ended up solving the issue while I was in New York by going to like massage therapy and going to an awesome chiropractor. And now I'm where I'm at. So it was very scary. I honestly, actually, in hindsight, it wasn't scary. I was kind of just like doing it. But now that I think back on it, I'm like, wow, I was that was very brave of me to just kind of go with it. One, I'm so happy. Everything is now okay. Uh, And two, I think that was a really inspiring story for, you know, people who are interviewing and, and putting yourself out there and believing in yourself regardless of any shortcomings that might be happening. Also, your your neck looks great. <laughs> I was waiting for Sarah to do that. Thank you. Honestly, it's crazy because it took almost two years to fix the issue. And again, it was like super painful. And if anything, it taught me to be so grateful for good health and also to just be mindful of others who might not have the benefit of not having things like a neck issue. So, So yeah, thank you worked very hard to get my neck to where it is. (laughs) Well, we loved having you on the show, folks. If you want to figure out what's going on in content and commerce, follow BuzzFeed. They've been at the forefront of this for a while, but you remain to be at the forefront. And I believe that's what's so impressive about what's going on at BuzzFeed. Thank you so much, Rachel and Sarah, for having me. 
Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking touch of truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there